I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to uh, remind you that it is brought to you by Faith Life TV, which is a streaming service that features documentaries, it features sermons, uh, films, both short and feature, all kinds of stuff that a Christian audience can enjoy. So uh, just go to Faith Life TV, or you can click on the ad at morethanonelesson.com, and you'll get your first two weeks for free. After that, it is $4.99 a month. So once again, Faith Life TV, check it out. All right. Um, and then actually while I'm, while I'm here, I'll go ahead and say that, uh, there's a, a lot of stuff to do over at more than one lesson. Uh, the guys over at two geek soup did an episode about the handmaid's tale, which I have not heard, but I given what I know about that show. I'm fascinated to listen to, uh, Bob wrote a review of skyscraper and then the guys over at the fear of God recorded about, uh, recently they recorded about jaws and predator. So there's a, a lot going on over there. And then I think I, yes, I wrote a review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, it's not great. I don't love it. I wish I did. But uh, for some reason, that part of the Marvel franchise has never really appealed to me. But anyway, okay. Uh, we are going to be talking about Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, a smaller film that is getting... Uh, it certainly didn't get a wide release, but it's a, a platform release. So uh, keep an eye out and it may be coming to your city soon, but I'm not going to talk about it alone. I'm going to bring in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hey, you didn't answer my question. Oh, good. Sorry. You're doing well? Yeah. yeah. You've been working all day. Yep. Working like a dog, right? Sure. Dogs don't mow lawns, though. No, they don't do have been working harder than dog. I know. My dog sat and watched me for yeah. a lot of it. Man, oh, man. She should be doing this work. Yeah, that's a, that's a sweet life, a dog's life. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so you were doing yard work. You look tan. You look healthy. Well, well thank you. <laughs> you just... It's, why, why do we associate, like, tans with, like, health? Because it's indicative that a person's just, like, has been outside... Is that what so. it is? Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like that's that feels particularly American to me. Like I, I, I get the feeling that before America was along, like if you were pale, that means you're in good shape. Well, that that was a whole thing with like how uh, in different cultures the how it used to be if you spent more time outside that meant you were more working class so right. like in the 1700s and stuff the pale it was it was yeah. they always talk about fair skin and stuff mm -hmm. in the in the shakespearean times and whatever because that meant you never went outside and didn't do any yeah. work and you were a rich person um it was it's and it's still i think that way in 
uh, or at least until recently in India because the working mm. classes are usually darker skinned because they're sure. outside doing work, whereas the richer people are able to stay inside more. Whereas now it's kind of the opposite in the U.S. where yeah. most of our working class people are working in, you know, I don't know, retail or factories or, or factory, whatever, yeah, yeah. and the, the richer people have time to go lay out on the beach and by, yeah. by the beach or by the pool or whatever. Yeah, see, I, I'm not sure if I would say I'm working class. I'd say I'm, I'm middle class, uh, but I do have this nice, fair, pasty skin. <laughs> so I like to give the impression that I'm old school money. You're, you either have the best or the worst of both worlds, depending on how you look at it. Oh, I think we know what that is. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, well, ho- you know, hopefully you can, uh, you can take a break mentally from, you know, looking at all these unmowed yards, <laughs> including my unmowed yard, which is, it is not mowed because it is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing, That's all right. Nothing dead, is you growing. don't have to mow it. I know. It's great. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so, all right. So we are going to be talking about Bo Burnham's eighth grade, a film that I didn't know much about. And then I saw a random trailer and it looked okay. And then when I saw who had written and directed it, I thought, oh, all right, I'm intrigued, but also I now expect less from this film. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the stand-up comedy of Bo Burnham. A little bit. I've never watched a full special of his, but uh, my wife was watching one recently, and I kind of peeked in a little bit. Yeah. And I heard some bits I liked here and there, but at the same time, I generally don't go, I don't know if he always does this, but at least in the one she was watching, it was a lot of that he'd play like songs and sure. be like comedy songs, that type of stand up. I usually don't enjoy as much. Yeah. Um, it's, that's definitely what he's known more for, but he does do just like regular bits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, I've watched a couple of his specials. He's clearly talented. Um, I think his persona is one that is not for me. Mm-hmm. There's a certain smugness there. And again, I'm not saying that he is that, Yeah, but that is definitely how he puts himself out there. Uh, but without the edge of an Anthony Jeselnik, for mm-hmm. example. Right. And so I would chuckle occasionally, uh, at his comedy, but it just never really struck me right. And so, you know, if somebody had told me, Hey, uh, Bo Burnham's going to make a movie. I just be like, that sounds like it's going to be absolutely insufferable. <laughs> uh, and then much to my surprise, uh, eighth grade was released and I responded to it so much more than I thought I was going to, I'd say for the most part, he's able to put aside his snark and his persona and really explore these characters, specifically the main character in a realistic way. There are, you know, there are moments of, of heightened style. Mm -hmm. Um, and unsurprisingly being, you know, the kind of comedian that he is, uh, he definitely uses music a lot Mm -hmm. to, uh, supplement and maybe even just create the emotion that we're supposed to feel. Um, but by and large, I would say that I loved the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts. Uh, I liked it. I didn't know too much. what. I mean, by the time it was, uh, it was out and anybody was recommending to go see it. I had heard, heard more about it. Mm-hmm. I'd seen some of the trailers. It sounded like it was pretty good from what people were saying. So, um, I was curious to see it from that perspective, although I don't know that anyone, 
I, you know, I recognize Josh Hamilton. Right. I've seen looking back as I'm to be, I'm like, Oh, I've seen him in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Seen Francis Ha, which I don't even remember, but uh, oh, yeah. that that's, I love that movie. So yeah. I've definitely seen him in a lot of things that I like, but he was the only one that I recognized. I don't think I really knew anyone else in the movie. Um, so I think it's always interesting to see one where it's like, Oh, I don't really know any of these actors. Uh, that's, yeah. That's I feel like that's good sometimes. Uh, otherwise you bring inherently some kind of baggage into it. Um, whether that's good or bad, but, um, but yeah, I thought, um, uh, I, I, I liked it overall. I think the, um, I liked what they were doing, not only with the, the message, but I liked the, um, uh, I think it was a good treatment of an exploration of the effect of social media and, mm -hmm. and all that. And I think we're starting to see more movies that, uh, that dive into that and deal with that. Another one that I saw recently, I think came out last year was Ingrid goes West. Did you see that one? Uh, I didn't, I heard mm -hmm. good things though. I, I probably will make other comparisons to that one, uh, while we're talking because that's, mm -hmm. uh, another film that in a, darker and I think more cynical way deals with how people really are versus how they want to be presented or feel right. like they should present themselves or, you know, and, and how that's connected to the value that they see in themselves. Yeah. Um, but I think I liked the way that he dealt with all of that in this film. Um, and I, I thought the, uh, some of it, I'm sure we'll get into more of this later, but the, the way that he deals with kind of the, uh, I guess for want of a better word, just the sexual tension moments, mm -hmm. um, especially that it's coming from a girl's perspective and yeah. it's written directed by a man. Um, uh, it, it feels very genuine. And my wife who saw it with me said that she responded to that a lot. She really yeah. felt like it was. And, you know, uh, that's, that's a, a, you know, a thing that in my conservative Christian homeschool upbringing, I didn't yeah. have to deal with to that degree, uh, very much, but, uh, um, apparently that's well, let's hope not. <laughs> Otherwise um, there are deeper issues than, uh, <laughs> just than mere sexuality. But, um, but apparently that was very, you know, my wife who did go to, uh, you know, a regular school, not a public school, but a, a Catholic school and grew up a girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, said that, you know, a lot of that felt very, very true. And man, the whole thing, I mean, through, until the end, because I think it has a good uh, resolution, but so much of the movie, I felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's still genuinely funny in a lot of areas, but yeah, there are long stretches of, this is, uh, unfortunate. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, I think Bo Burnham was smart to call it eighth grade. Uh, not merely said it in eighth grade, but by calling it that, I think a lot of people, uh, have an association with it. I myself hated eighth grade yeah. as did most people I know because it's your last year of middle school. High school is kind of when you really start to find a groove. Like mm -hmm. I, 
in elementary school, I enjoyed drawing and that sort of thing. Uh, but I wasn't really good at sports. I really wasn't good at anything that a person could see. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that necessarily matters, like whatever it is you're good at, even if it's a private thing, uh, that's perfectly fine. But again, in eighth, in middle school, you are very aware of how other people come across and how you might come across. And so I just felt completely useless, mm-hmm. uh, because all my friends, like they played basketball or they sang or they played an instrument or, or, or any of these things. And it wasn't until high school that I got into like acting mm-hmm. and realized that this is a thing I can do. So like, but middle school didn't have any kind of theater program. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I was just kind of drifting along, trying to figure out what to do, being a terrible student. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I was, after I saw the film, I was telling Jen like, oh, I saw a movie called Eighth Grade. And she went, ugh. <laughs> like, I know. that seems to be the reaction to a lot of people yeah. because that was just not when they were at their best. I think middle school is just the worst for most people. Probably. I mean, it's like the, probably the worst part of puberty. And if it's not like, if puberty's not racking your body at the time, then yeah. you know that you're the one who's not <laughs> exactly. growing. So yeah. like, either way, that's terrible. And like, you're kind of being forced into more like, uh, I want to say adult situations, but that's, that's wrong. But situations where you have to be like, you have to take initiative, right? You have to learn how to like, as soon as she walks into that pool party and I don't even have any particular, like uncomfortable memories about pool parties, but it, I just felt like, Oh, that that's horrible. Like the idea of being in middle school and going to pool parties just feels terrible. Yeah. And especially the idea of, and what's interesting, I was never, I was never in her position where she was kind of a loner. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't popular, but I had friends yeah. that I hung out with and we were, and mm-hmm. we enjoyed spending time together. So if there were, if there was a social situation, then I could at least be over here in the corner with my friends making fun of everybody else, but sec- secretly hating myself. Um, Whereas she is completely alone Mm -hmm. and, uh, that makes it so much worse. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then you see that, like you said, her, her social media presence, whether it be her Instagram account or her YouTube channel, like giving, like, which is dedicated to giving tips to life that she knows nothing about. Uh, but again, it's about conveying confidence and it's a really, um, it's a re- just the series of choices in regards to that main character, uh, without ever making her too, for lack of a better term, pathetic, mm-hmm. yeah. um, or too, too ridiculous. You know, as you know, this is. There's a big problem that I have with the film Napoleon Dynamite Mm -hmm. uh, is that I think it makes, you know, the character, they play up the essence of that kid from high school, but they don't play that kid from high school, which is it's fine. They're trying to do something different, but uh, it's something that kind of bothered me. Uh, Whereas this, she is clearly smart. She tries to be articulate where she can. Like you kind of get the impression as an adult, or at least I did that, oh, she's going to be fine in a few years. Mm-hmm. Like she seems to have an intelligence level that surpasses that of her classmates. And 
and she's not necessarily falling completely into the trap of popularity, except she wishes that she were. Um, but like, I think when she gets to college, she like, she'll find herself and she'll start to feel pretty good about herself. And she will probably, uh, she'll probably be a, a more effective adult than some of her peers. Mm -hmm. But that's a long way away, you know, yeah. especially where, especially for her right now, it feels like this is the only moment that matters. And this moment is not great. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so those moments, yeah, with the pool party, especially the fact that you just, it's this really nice camera move where it just pulls back, you know, like in Gone with the Wind uh, to see all those wounded soldiers. But this is just, this is quite literally for her a battlefield that she has no confidence uh, about going into. And then she can't even open the door all the way, like, which is a nice payoff. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, Moments like that, you kind of, Bo Burnham is a, is still a fairly young guy. He, I think he's still in his twenties and you kind of feel like, yeah, it would have to be a younger person. I, I didn't, ex I wouldn't have expected it to be a guy, but uh, someone who's not that far removed, not like 20 or 30 years removed from middle school, I think would have to be the one to make this because those memories are still, you know, my middle school memories are starting to mostly fade at this mm -hmm. point. Now I just have a general vibe <laughs> about it and uh, thumbs down. But, uh, and but like yeah. all the particular when then it cuts into all the particular things of like the the <laughs> there's one kid like shooting the water through his teeth. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah that's, there's that's that kid. And we all, you know, remember somebody doing that. Yeah. Or like one of them's like sitting in a in a like filling his face with Doritos while he's in the raft or yeah. whatever. You're like, Oh gosh, yeah. gross. But, but yeah, but yeah, yeah that's, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, and I think, if, I think maybe on top, along with so many other, uh, smart moves, like the casting of this is solid, not just because of the lead, but all of the supporting characters as well. Like, uh, Luke Prale as Aiden, the, uh, the super hot guy in her yeah. class that is like the object of her and probably everybody else's affection. Mm -hmm. And you, and you realize like, Oh yeah, no, he is, he is eighth grade. Cool. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, and he is eighth grade. Good looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. like, but still undeniably eighth grade. Right. I love it when they shoot him. Like it's a, like a, a bathing suit model yeah, thing, like yeah. the slow move as he's <laughs> yeah. getting out of the pool and you're like, this, and is, just, this is a skinny dorky kid. Yeah. But. <laughs> Super scrawny. Yeah. Um, but that's not how she sees it. Right. And, and I do like that, uh, you know, at one point we cut to him and he's just like messing with his chewed gum, like on his face and it's mm -hmm. kind of going up his nose and you realize that like, yeah, like even the there undeniably in that class, he is one of the cool kids. Um, but in eighth grade, nobody's really cool. Right. Everyone's still gawky and weird. And so little, little observations like that. And I think he plays it great. Like mm -hmm. this is a character who I don't consider him, you know, there's a moment when he asks a rather a crass thing of our main character, but you kind of get the impression that like, I feel like he's doing that because he's expected, he feels expected to like, mm -hmm. oh, well, this is what guys like, right? This is, this is what people like. And mm -hmm. undoubtedly, you know, at age 13, yes, you are interested in this sexual stuff. You have, you, most people have no idea, men or women, like they, they don't know what they want and yeah. they don't know what that's like. And so, and I feel like that's highlight highlighted by the fact I, I that scene is really good in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
I feel like what you're saying is highlighted by the fact that that's the last thing he asks her before they turn on the lights and yeah. she has to go sit back down. And so that was what was just on his mind. And it, it holds the camera on him while he sits there for like three seconds and then starts doing this dumb thing where he's blowing out his cheeks again. Yeah. So clearly he's just gone back to thinking about right. nothing. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a thing that he, might be a slight preoccupation, but mm -hmm. it is, it is not the obsession that yeah. admittedly it probably will be two years later. Yeah. Um, it's, it has, it's not carrying yeah. any space in his mind any longer. Another thing that I loved in that moment, which I think is a, was maybe emblematic for me of a way that he's able to, or that Bo Burnham was able to handle a lot of these jokes really well, even if they are kind of sad or, or like heavy or anything like that. Um, and the audience reaction in my theater was perfect too. So he, in that same scene, they're, they're, you know, under their desks because it's supposed mm. to be a, a drill for if a, uh, if there were a shooter in the yeah. school. So, um, he says something like, yeah, I wish there was a school shooting and the whole audience and my own, everyone goes, Ooh, like that. Like yeah. you feel an uncomfortable sound go through the crowd and immediately she goes same and everybody laughed. Yeah. Like, so they took something that like affects people in a very uncomfortable way yeah. in that like you could hear the reaction yeah. of how uncomfortable people were, but immediately cut it with the ridiculousness of her just agreeing with him just to get, Oh yeah. What she wants. And, 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 and then when he gives his reason mm -hmm. as to why it's not, it's not the, if you'll pardon me, it's not the high school emo type of reason. Just like, ah, oh, all these sheep, you know, they just deserve to be slaughtered. I mm -hmm. just came up with that. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but no, it's the, it's like, you know, Oh, I'd, I'd like punch him in the face. Like yeah. I, you know, I'd wail on him. It's like, it's, it's a dumb, very eighth guy, grade. Yeah. It's yeah. a very eighth grade way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's, in moments like that, uh, throughout the script, uh, Bo Burnham like brings us back into the eighth grade mindset. Like I think a lot of us, when we think back to that time, we may we may arrive at high school, and high school is different. Mm -hmm. And so, in moments like that, like the like the dumb kid who does not understand what he's saying when he says like I wish there were a shooting, that's the kind of thing that you know, there's a reason people gasped and it was like, Oh, is he that kind of kid? Or along with, Oh, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. But Oh, is he that kind of kid? It's like, and while those types of kids did exist in middle school, they didn't really do anything. Mm -hmm. And so then when he gives his reason, which is a, a very young person's dumb reason, it's like, it acknowledges what you think is, is that from that period? And then in your life and you're always like, no, 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 it's even younger than you're thinking. It's even more silly than you're thinking. Um, and yeah, it's, it is a very solid script on a lot of levels. Um, and what I like, and we'll get more into this when we talk about the, the themes of the film, what I like is that after all this time pulling you into the mentality of these characters, like the specific mentality of these characters, it then actually uses that to make broader points about any time in your life, which mm -hmm. I kind of adore, but I'll talk about that in a moment. So, um, so, you know, I started talking about the cast. Uh, I mean, I guess we can lead with Elsie Fisher as Kayla and she is, uh, marvelous. I mean, from the very first video, and this is, this is likely a script issue uh, and a performance issue. And I say issue in a good way, not a bad way. Mm. Uh, when she's giving her first on, not the first one we see, her first online 
tip video. Uh, and she's saying like all the time and she's speaking in complete broad generalities, but seems to think that she's saying something real. Uh, and that Elsie Fisher just plays it with complete commitment. Yeah. Um, if I had to guess, cause I was, I was looking at a lot of those scenes and I thought that there's no way that it's written exactly like that on the page. Cause I don't, if nothing else, because I think it would be hard to impossible for an actor of that age to take those like dialogue with that, with all those ums and breaks and mm-hmm. likes and things like that and make it come out natural. Right. Um, that's very hard for any actor to do, uh, let alone a younger actor who's, you know, by nature of age hadn't had to have less experience. So if I were to guess, I would say the broad strokes of the ideas are written and maybe he had her do two or three versions where she's just right. reading the script. And then he said, okay, now throw out the script. Just say basically what you, yeah. Just say kind of the idea in your own words. Cause that's what it, it feels so natural to the person that yeah. it, I feel like it has to be something like that. And that speaks to just the, the naturalism. Maybe it is completely written in which case like, Hey, that's a really well-written script. Yeah. Or maybe it's just her understanding the character and adding her own stuff in, uh, either at his suggestion or otherwise. But yeah, we just, the way we see her in various circumstances, you know, we see her as a very pleasant, well-meaning young woman but then when we see her with her dad, she's oddly aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the point where you're like, oh, come on, don't you realize that your dad just really cares about <laughs> you? But just, but yeah, that's that's what she would be is. She stands to gain nothing from her father. Mm-hmm. At least, of course, she stands to gain a lot and she is gaining a lot, but she right. doesn't know that yet. Right. Uh, the only people she cares about are her peers. Uh, and so, yeah, she's, I think, uh, dismissive of her dad in a way that could be seen as hurtful. Um, which is one of the things that I like is that she, they don't make her into just this perfect, uh, Mm -hmm. person. Um, it would have been easy. It would have been very easy to make her like the lone point of light in the middle of all this conformity, all this, you know, whatever you want to say, but no, she is 100% her age and all of her, and she is just as flawed as any of the other people that she's talking to. Um, and, and I think the actress is able to play all of these beats, but bring them all together into one complete character. Um, and then I also, honestly, I appreciate the, the lack of vanity on the part of the actress because, okay, yeah, uh, aged 13, we all had zits and we had bad skin and all that. And, uh, and Bo Burnham chooses to shoot her with little to no makeup. And we do see that she does not have very good skin, uh, which makes it so much more effective when we see her putting on makeup so that she can take a photo, giving the impression that she just woke up. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, uh, there's, it's little details like that that really sell the reality. Um, and again, the movie is not necessarily made in a full on straightforward way. Uh, like you said, like, the way they shoot the character of Aiden, like this male model with this music blaring. And he's like the <laughs> coolest guy in the world. Like, no, it's moments like that are stylized moments, but, uh, but they are undercut by the harsh and absurd reality that these kids are, are living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also wanted to mention Emily Robinson as Olivia, her, uh, Kayla's like high school liaison, mm, yeah, um, yeah. who is, 
enthusiastic. And at first you're wondering if she's just kind of putting on Kayla, uh, then she actually doesn't care about her. Like I kept waiting for a moment when it turns out that, uh, that Olivia is like, what, what like calls her kid or something like that. But that doesn't come about. Like she actually does care about this young woman, probably because she sees a lot of herself. Uh, that doesn't mean that her friends, that Olivia's friends are going to care that much about Kayla. Right. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, there were a lot of moments when I thought, something was going to go wrong. Yeah. It seemed like it could have and didn't. Yeah. Um, and it does start to go wrong. Uh, right. Yeah. Not that nothing ever goes wrong, but yeah. uh, I think it doesn't do what you think is going to happen necessarily. Yeah. Um, and maybe that would be too obvious to have it be, you know, that, uh, some of the, some of the, pitfalls she set up for to fall into. If, if that actually happened, it might be obvious. Yeah. So maybe it's, good that it doesn't go there yeah yeah and uh and then lastly i will talk about the character of gabe played by jake ryan who mm-hmm. if any of these characters seems like something out of a movie it'd probably be him but again his specificity it's just he he's kind of he's just sort of a goofy type of character mm-hmm. but he is goofy in a way that it's feasible you have met that person yeah oh definitely um and the idea of, you know, he has uh, Kayla over for like a date and he accidentally quotes around that <laughs> accidentally leaves out like his his archery certificate or whatever <laughs> from camp. <laughs> like, oh, I can't believe I left this. Yeah, guy. that's so stupid. And that's the thing is, yeah, like he puts it out there. Clearly, he's proud of it. But then he also has to like undercut it. Yeah, because she tries to like give him the out. Yeah. She's like, I I think it's cool. And he's yeah. like, well, I think it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then like the, fir- and when we first see him, it's kind of neat that we first see him, but we can't really make him out because he's wearing, it's at the pool party. Yeah. And he's, he's wearing, wearing like a, a big uh, mask. Yeah. And then immediately he's like, Hey, you want to test, uh, you know, holding your breath under underwater and just, yeah. And it's, uh, it's hilarious. Um, but, but I do love it. Like I laughed really hard when he was on screen and, uh, but, but you know, in my screening, which was a critic screening, but, uh, I think there were a few plus ones in there because critics usually don't go, Oh, uh, so a few, but a few people did. So I'm like, okay, so those are probably like, I'm going to say wives and, uh, you know, girlfriends and stuff. Uh, but yeah, like Gabe often, like when he was, tr- when he's trying to like impress her and trying to make her feel comfortable, like there was a lot of that yeah. in my theater. Um, and even though he is goofy, it's, uh, I think the contrast to the way that people have treated her as something to be used up to this point or the yeah. other boys at least have, I feel like that's one of the reasons that part's so important. Yeah. And one of the things, uh, there is a scene in which, uh, a boy like suggests an older boy, uh, suggests like a game of truth or dare. And what I find so fascinating is that this boy in the previous scene is very quiet and actually seems quite friendly mm-hmm. and he probably is. And he's doing this thing that we view as predatory and it is cause she's very young. Yeah. Um, so it, of course it is bad. It is wrong. But the scene is handled and he handles it like he's very awkward about it. Like he mm-hmm. doesn't come across as Mr. Suave, like, you know, like the, the big bad wolf, like just bringing her in. Like 
he he's still kind of stumbling around and yeah. so even in the scenes when things go bad and scenes that like the, we kind of get a feeling where this is going to go but this is going to sound weird I feel like if it were a lesser film it would just they would have just had it be a full on attempted rape mm. or an actual rape scene mm-hmm. but this is but he's not that type of character uh, and so this is just the beginning of a truth or dare game in which like his shirt has come off. He wants hers to come off. She says no. And then you're done. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but of course for a 13 year old, that's plenty. That's, you know, that's plenty, uh, traumatic. Yeah. So that's, that's what I like is that it doesn't, and not to suggest that like that in a situation like that, that some guy wouldn't actually try to do something. I'm sure that happens quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but given the world that these characters live in and the types of characters they are, uh, I like that Bo Burnham didn't push anything too far so that he could get a definitive reaction. Like he knew that seeing things from her point of view the scene as is was going to be traumatic enough. Yeah. You know, he didn't need to go any further than that. So, um, because if it, if he did, it might've felt slightly not exploitative in the same way, like not titillating, but exploitative of our emotions. Yes. I I think so. Yeah. I think it's good that he stays away from that. So, um, and then lastly, I will say that Josh Hamilton as her father is, Again, it's this nice balance because you keep expecting him to be this really noble, well-spoken, like you, you keep expecting the scales to fall from her eyes and she realized just how awesome her dad is. No, her dad is still a big dork and there are moments when he does things wrong. He's like spying on her at the mall because he's <laughs> yeah. worried about her. Yeah. And, you know, there does come a moment when he does just come out and say, what he thinks about her, but he, you get, you get the impression that he's probably said this sort of thing before. Well, and he, he does even in that first scene, yeah. the first scene that you see him, he does it. It's just, she's not in a place right. to receive something like right. that. So he might be saying positive things like this to her all the time. And it's just, yeah, there needs to be a moment where she's ready to hear something like, or able to listen. Yeah. And I like that he's not overly eloquent in either no. scene. Like no. he just, he speaks very simply. Yeah. Um, and in that first scene, it's funny because he says like, just one thing. I just want to say one thing. And then it turns into like five or six <laughs> things. He's like, that's more than one thing. He's like, it's all bundled together. It's, it's all one thing. You know, it's very funny. And, uh, and it was very, his character is, is very touching. Um, and, and it does, and it does make you wonder cause he's a, a single father and, and when you look at circumstances like this, it makes you wonder, not that I think this is what the film is about at all, but like what would Elsie's life be like if she, if her mother were in the picture, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it just kind of, again, I don't think the film is by all, by any means like an indictment of like single parent families. No. It just suggests that everybody's circumstances are unique. Yeah. Um, and who knows if things were just a little bit better, uh, or a little bit different, uh, maybe, uh, Kayla's mom would be able to, teach her more about makeup and she wouldn't be so reliant on the internet and her peers, uh, to learn what it is to be social. Um, but at the same time they present us with the only, uh, other parents that we see in the film are kind of the mean girls parents and they clearly are not, uh, the best parents. And there's even a hint that maybe, uh, 
the mom is kind of looking for Kayla's dad yep. to, uh, and that's the whole reason up. she insisted the reason yes. she's even at the party. Yeah. Yes. That is definitely a vibe I got. And it's just, and it's only a suggestion. Yeah. It's only her just glancing out the door, like ho- v- vaguely, hopefully yeah. no mention of it again. No. And, but it's enough. You and I both got it. Yeah. And you hear the parents arguing a little bit later. Yeah. What the, uh, and also that again is another subtle thing. It's in the background. They're not yeah. on camera when it's happening. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, that's, and I like that as well. Like my parents did not argue in front of me. They chose to go into the other room and, uh, maybe that, uh, had, uh, an impact on me in, in later years. Uh, but I think it's, I, I think with these types of, you know, characters that are like in this class where they where you know, they do have another room that they can go into in order to argue so that they're, they're sparing their children. And in doing so, their children have to just speculate on why mom and dad are so angry um, and just forces them to be alone even more. Um, but yeah, and I do think that, that that social media plays a big role. I don't necessarily think that it is an indictment of social media, but I do think that uh, it could it could suggest that for people of this age who grew up with it and never really knew life without it. Um, I think we're, uh, I don't think we're, we're going to understand the full social ramifications of that for another several years. Like as these kids become adults and we're able to say like, okay, well we know what other adults look like. So now how do they look now that they are in the workforce, now that they're in college, whatever it is. Um, and I'm fascinated to see it because on one hand, like being tech savvy and being able to adapt to, uh, a digital age, I think is something that certainly these kids are going to be able to do. Um, but it does make you wonder, like, yeah. you apparently know. there are studies that, uh, kids under a certain age. So mostly ones who have been exposed to, you know, social media and connect more through social media than anything or at least than any other previous generation are, uh, there are studies that are showing they have less, um, that they show less facial reaction hmm. in, in one-on-one, like in, in person. Interesting. Uh, interactions. They don't, they don't use as much of their facial muscles, which is weird to think about. That is interesting. And I, what, what an interesting, what an odd, what an odd consequence. Yeah. And, and one that I wouldn't assume because, you know, a big yeah. part of social media is selfies and showing yeah. yourself. Uh, yeah. But, but, and, and it's, that's not necessarily a judgment, I guess, but that's odd to think about. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's different. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like you said, it's not necessarily a, a, uh, it's not necessarily speaking out against social media, although I feel like I, because I have a lot of baggage probably with it, feel mm-hmm. like I'm seeing some negative things in it, whether the film right. is necessarily um, intending that to be there. Yeah. And it, it also had me thinking, too, in uh, about that specifically, that one of the things you always think when you're a kid is like, oh, my parents don't get me. You know, that's right. kind of the regular thing. And as I got a little bit older, as you get older, you're like, Oh, my parents were kids too. Like they understand yeah. the kind of things that kids go through. But then w- even watching this movie, I was like, I don't get some of this stuff that the kids are going through with like their videos oh, and, yeah. and like the Snapchat stuff and all that. Like I don't get it. And yeah. I'm not even that, 
you know, I certainly not only, well, I suppose I could have kids that age, but I don't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, so that made me think like maybe, <laughs> maybe when, as kids we were like, my parents don't understand me, like maybe we were a little bit more right than we, <laughs> Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. We knew. And you know, that parent I'm, parents just don't understand. <laughs> Will Smith said it. Yeah. Yeah. Now he doesn't understand. Oh, undoubtedly. Can't yeah. trust anyone over 30. That's what I that think. That includes both of us. So good night, everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, uh, you can trust me on certain things. Like for example, uh, how to sign up for a social security check or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that age, but, yeah. um, yeah. So, uh, so to move into the thematic, uh, part of the film, there were two elements that, and either one of them would have been enough for me. Uh, but the fact that they brought both of these together was something I thought was interesting. So we talk about, uh, Kayla's relationship to her father and that he, that he just, he loves her so much that even when she drives, when she tries to push him away, he will, he will always come back. And I think he just understands what it is. They're like, yeah, Hey, I, I get it. I was that age once. Um, he never says it, but you just kind of know. Um, and then, uh, and so eventually like his love for her is affirmed in a way that she f- seems to finally get it, or at least as much as she's going to. And maybe it'll fade again over the, over time. And she needs to be, she'll need to be reminded of it again. Um, so that's one element. And then the other, uh, there's a big, there's a big, uh, part of this film that has to do with time capsules. Um, all of the students, uh, like, uh, I don't know if they buried it, but they created these time capsules when they started middle school. Uh, and, uh, and so they can go back and look at, Oh, the students they, they once were, you know, all those years ago, like three, I guess. (laughs) Um, and, when she opens hers up, you know, you see these, you see, it's, you know, you see ticket stubs for like wreck it Ralph and stuff. And, and that's what sort of <laughs> I'm like, that just came out. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure for us it did. Um, and so, uh, there's a line in, um, Avengers infinity war in which Spider-Man now played by a, a much younger person. Uh, they, the characters are in space and, and he, Spider-Man has an idea and he's like, he goes, I don't know. Have you guys ever seen this really old movie called aliens? <laughs> and it's like, and the fact that he said the second one, <laughs> not the first <laughs> is kind of perfect. Uh, anyway. So, uh, there's a really nice moment when she pulls out this little figurine of SpongeBob SquarePants, and she looks at it rather longingly and you're like, Oh, okay. I'm sure that has some kind of meaning. Then you realize what it actually is later on. It's a, it's a thumb drive. And so she puts it in her computer and it contains a message to her from herself, from her younger self saying like, oh, I'll bet you, you know, I'll bet you're doing this and congratulations on that and all that. And essentially saying, kind of saying, hey, uh, all the things that you're not, I thought you were going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it is to her a very depressing idea that in the last three years, she did not end up where she either wanted to or maybe genuinely expected to mm-hmm. be. Um, and so, and the fact that her box is, says like the coolest girl in the world mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, uh, it's a very sad thing. And, um, and she throws her, she throws it in the fire and then it turns out she does that not for the reason you thought, 
you thought it was going to be that she has just kind of, you know, she, the way she says it, she's burning her hopes and dreams and, <laughs> you know, in true like 13 year old fashion. Um, but then, uh, as it turns out that she's, she's in a place mentally to move on. She doesn't necessarily want to think about what came before and how she might have been, she might have disappointed her younger self. Like there's only her right now and she has to make the most of what she has. And then she sends a, a message to her, to her high school self. She makes another little uh, time capsule and puts it out there. But this one ultimately says like, hey, something like you might not be where you wanted to be, but that's all right that's because, okay, yeah. you know, and that is something, and this is the, I think the brilliance of the script is that that is something that can apply to anybody, you know, uh, I'm 36 and I'm just starting a new career. Uh, and I, you know, I don't have kids and, uh, my wife and I are unable to have kids. So we're like, we're working on the foster to adopt, but that keeps getting pushed back. So like, if you would ask me several years ago, Hey, at age 36, where do you think you would be? Um, I would probably would have said that I would have two kids by now and that I would have, who knows what job I thought I would be doing, but you know, I thought I would be further along and it's like, well, further along than what? And it's like, well, further along than what I thought, whatever that might mean. And so, uh, so at any given point, we can always look back over the last few years and then look ahead at the next few years and just feel like wherever we are now is not good. It is not where we are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And that's the, it's something that I, that I really love about the movies. It takes this very specific story and finds a way to be universal about it. Like, I think, I think frankly, any eighth grade and ninth grade kids should watch this movie. I think they would get something out of it, I'd be but really, I think everybody should watch it. Yeah. I definitely think everyone has something to get out of it. Although I, I would be very interested to see how people in that age group respond to this. Yeah. Like I, I could see it going either way. I could see them coming out of it very emotionally moved and like yeah. saying this movie speaks exactly to me and where I am. I could also see them come back and like, that was boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I honestly, I'm not sure. Yeah, like I think they would find it funny, but you wonder how much of the humor is rooted in adults looking back and being like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's something I'd definitely be curious about. You know, my nephew is, well, he's at this point, he's like 16, but close enough. Maybe I'll have him watch it and say, Aiden, his name is Aiden. Um. He's super cool. He's got these beautiful <laughs> eyes. I'm kidding. He's 6'2 now. Um, he's he's wow. huge. Uh but, uh, but I could ask him what, what he thinks and, uh, he'll be like, I, I liked it more when you had me watch speed. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that idea of, you know, it's these two separate themes, but being who I am as a Christian, I kind of tied them together. Um, which is the idea that she has, she definitely has, uh, she feels freer by the end of the film. She feels freer to make mistakes. She feels freer mm -hmm. to, to go down the wrong path. Like, Oh, that friendship didn't go anywhere. Well, I guess I'm going over here now. Um, and I think a part of that is the life that she's lived and who she is. But I think a lot of it can be traced to that conversation with her father. She understands that. Yes. And don't get me wrong. I understand peers are important. Uh, I'm not someone, I, I don't, 
I'm not someone who says like, oh, those, those kids, what do they care? You know, like, what does it matter what they think? It's like, well, it matters very much what your peers think, no matter what age you are. So I'm not going to say that, but, uh, the fact that her dad, um, affirms her and basically at a time when she's feeling pretty bad about herself and she finds herself wondering about her mother and the kind of mother she might be someday. And this idea in which she says something that I have often said about God, uh, she's not talking about God. She's talking about a parent, but the idea of, you know, yeah, I'm a, you know, maybe my mom would like me cause you know, she's supposed to, and that sort of thing. Uh, and there's, and it's kind of an impersonal in her mind, like it would be an impersonal type of love. And then her dad comes in and says, no, 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 you have no idea how awesome it is being your father, mm-hmm. not a father, your father. Mm-hmm. And, and then he kind of lists off the things that he likes about her and, and it's, and it's very specific. And so, um, so it, it provides her the freedom to make mistakes knowing that she is loved mm-hmm. um, and that she herself is loved. Yeah. So much of the film is her trying to find some sort of value in herself. Yeah. And she looks for it in a lot of places where she ends up not finding it. Or it, probably in the case of the high schoolers, she a thing that seemed like it could make her feel value makes her instead feel value less makes her feel even worse um so the moment you know that moment with her father is something is is a moment that's able to let her feel more like yes she has value right um because she's feeling someone see value in her um and i think this gets me to one of those points where i it's not something I think I can fault the film with at all, but I come back to it thinking outside of any kind of biblical context, mm. this could all fall apart next week. You know? Sure. Sure. And, uh, and not that that's not the case for a lot of people who do have a solid, you know, faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel a little bit coming out of it that, the, the happiness that she's finding isn't really based on a lot. And it's the same thing I feel, again, this film is coming from a different worldview than I am, so mm-hmm. I can't fault that at all. But I feel the same way sometimes with a lot of like Woody Allen films, because a lot of his sure. films end with this idea of, sure, there's a lot of bad things, but like when we are, you know, can be good to each other and find people that love us and can find value in things, then it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And that that only goes so far sure um so i feel like there is there's a little bit of me that 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 feels that in this film and feels a little bit of sadness i think about that well and honestly what i i agree that there's probably a cert that it's kind of temporary mm-hmm. what she's feeling right now but i think the film knows that i think it suggests that and it, by even having her say what she is saying about her saying to her high school self, it's saying like, yeah, this, what I'm saying, she's not actually saying this, but this Mm -hmm. is definitely something that I read into it. It's like, yeah, think you're going to have bad days. You might have way more bad days than good days. You might be more miserable than happy. Uh, but there, but this feeling that I have right now is renewable, even if it goes away two seconds after I'm done with this video. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, 
that is something that I, that I, and it, and at no point does she say, does she reference her dad mm-hmm. as like, well, he loves me. So I know that. like, it's not that, that to her is a big part of it, but not one that she necessarily references. Like it comes from inside her and it's not quite so reliant on other people. And that is something that suggests that yes, like we all know that high school is not going to be easy for her just because it's not easy for anybody. But, uh, but that if she has these little revelations along the way and these little moments of not even so much happiness, but contentedness, uh, that she's going to be all right, as long as she can acknowledge them, you know, that's, I think that's the big thing is throughout the entire film, you know, she's looking for, you know, you said value, I would agree, but I think she's also looking for contentedness. She's looking for a way to be okay with herself. And when she meets Olivia, the high schooler, who's like so positive all the time at this moment, she feels like, Oh, I'm acceptable finally. Mm -hmm. And then she can, she feels like she can relax. Now she still wants to impress, but she feels, but Olivia has done a very good job of making her feel a bit more comfortable. And then of course she's made uncomfortable. And so I do think that she's, she's striving for some type of relief from the pressure that she's constantly putting on herself. And I think there at the end, she has a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, and so, but at no point do I think that the film thinks that that is, uh, going to be an ongoing, uh, feeling for her that I think it's, but that she is capable of it now. Like she has learned something and now she will apply it towards things and will make tons of mistakes. But hopefully this thing she learned will take her to another thing that she will learn. And she will eventually come to a realization that I at age 36 still have not fully, which is that, you know, if you look to other people either from a, from afar to compare yourself or you look directly to them and say, Hey, can you validate me? You know, however you might phrase it, Mm. that that is a a recipe for disappointment. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't, is that a super craven thing to say about people? Like, I don't mean to say that people will always disappoint you, but like people aren't perfect and they will disappoint you. Yeah, I think that's true. And I feel like that's kind of where I I get a little bit of that reservation that I have, especially like with her dad. It's like, I mean, who knows what her dad's going to be like in five years. Sure. I come back and say like, you were terrible in middle school, you know, whatever, whatever it could be. Um, But I think either way, they're definitely we're definitely seeing some growth in her when she has that right. in the difference between the two videos that she makes for herself going into middle school versus herself going into high school. And I think yeah. that's, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. And I like the way that's portrayed. Yeah. And you know, and of course it did hit me on a Christian level. And so I was thinking about like God telling us what her father told her and what you just said, like, Hey, in five years, who know, who knows how her father's going to be. Whereas over and over in the Bible, it says like, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Mm -hmm. he loves you right now for who you are, he's going to love you in five years, 10 years, forever. Um, and so, so again, putting these two things together and undoubtedly reading more into it than Bo, than Bo Burnham meant to. But again, I feel like he struck on something. He struck on uh, the natural human need for acceptance and assurance, uh, from a a figure of authority that says, you're always going to be fine with me. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and it doesn't mean I'm not going to get angry, 
but you're always, I'm always there with you. Um, and so, um, the so that'll take us to the companion film very, uh, briefly, which is Jason Reitman's Juno, which came out in 2007, written by Diablo Cody, starring Ellen Page, Michael Sarah, Jennifer Garner, Jason Bateman, Allison Janney, JK Simmons, uh, the film won Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Actress for Ellen Page. Uh, listeners know that this is a movie I do not care for. Um, it seemed weird for me to pick it as the companion film, given how, how vocal I have been about not liking it. But in thinking about it in these terms, um, I, think I, I think I really like the story. I really like the structure, and I like all the characters. It really is just in Diablo Cody's hyper ridiculous. Uh, what would you? How would would you even describe her dialogue in this film? It's not hip, um, but it's not nerdy. It's like this weird. It's definitely stylized. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Yeah, I don't know. Twee, maybe. Twee, yeah, it's a word that people of our generation used to use. I don't think it's used so much anymore, but, uh, but yeah. Um, that's cause I think it was a thing of a certain time. Like, sure. I feel like it was very mid two thousands. Yeah. Like me, there were music was twee. A lot yeah. of like, there was a whole slew of indie films that all kind of looked the same. Right. And the dialogue of this one is consistent with that look. Yeah. And it's, Tone. It's kind of this weird type of hipsterism and certainly self-aware and not meta. That's it's not that. But like the characters show a constant self-awareness, like, you know, the, the one of the many lines that I absolutely abhor is when Juno says to her friend, like I said, so she's she's pregnant and her friend's like honest to blog, like instead of God. And it's like, what? <laughs> it seems to me that, you know, if a friend if Jen was pregnant, I said to a friend like, Hey, Jen's pregnant. And the person's like, honest to blog. I'd be like, don't talk to me ever again. We're done now. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah. it's that. And then like, there's another one where like, so Juno has like this hamburger phone, which it, that in itself is fine. It's kind of adorable. Why not? Uh, but at one point she is talking to somebody and she's like, she's like, you have to speak up. I'm talking into a hamburger phone. And that is not treated as Juno needs everybody to know how silly she is. She, like when a person can't see it, she'll still say it. Um, it's not treated as a, as a flaw on her part. It's treated as a, an adorable thing. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's the, from the trailer, there's rain Wilson, uh, uh, as like a, he works at the pharmacy and Ellen page has the pregnancy test that says she, that she is in fact pregnant and she's like shaking it to which he says, like I looked it up. He said, uh, that ain't, that ain't no etch a sketch. And it's like, okay, that's not bad. The idea that like, if you shake it, it'll go away making the connection to etch a sketch. Now we're talking that works. <laughs> but he says, that's one doodle that can't be undid home skillet. It's like, who talks like this? I don't require that a movie be realistic, yeah. but this is a, a world that, I don't want to live in and I don't want to be in. You know, it's weird. I feel like a lot of it, because there's, again, a lot of movies from this time period. I think Little Miss Sunshine is another one sure. that, that are... Another winner of Best Screenplay, of course. Yeah, that fit this kind of mold. And I feel like 
it's a lot of them kind of trying to be a Wes Anderson film without understanding what a Wes Anderson film is, if that makes sense. Sure. But like a good comparison for me is the, if, if you've ever watched Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. any of the episodes that David Lynch directs are very weird, yes. but they're weird because of a certain aesthetic and certain uh, choices that he makes because of who he is. And they make perfect sense to him. Exactly. Later episodes, especially through the second season, you can see other writers and directors doing stuff to be weird because they think the show's supposed to be weird. Yeah but it's not the same and it doesn't ring true. And I think this, a lot of these films are kind of that same deal. Right. Because Wes Anderson was such a huge thing, especially in like, you know, post, uh, Royal Tenenbaums and mm-hmm. I think that was probably the one cause that was 2001. And so yeah. like, you know, a few years later, everybody was trying to do that same thing. And I even was trying to go see a lot of movies that felt like they were chasing that same sure. thing. I, gosh, I can list out a thousand of them, probably garden state or mm-hmm. a lot of real bad ones that you never, never, never saw like thumb sucker or art school confidential. I hated. I saw, I saw both of those. Did Jason Reitman also do also who did that? No, I think that's Terry's Wygoff directed it i believe so but i might be wrong maybe um there are things i like about art school confidential and there are things i liked about Thumbsucker as well yeah. but i know what you mean as far as style yes all those films have have some positive things i heart huckabees was another one um i love i heart huckabees really stuff. yeah um but i feel like they don't quite yeah they don't totally get it. It's kind of how I felt about Lars and the Real Girl, honestly, which is a movie yeah. I know you liked, yeah. but definitely it's a very specific cadence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there's a visual quality as well, but there's a very specific cadence to Wes Anderson that at times has bothered me, mm-hmm. uh, but other times it seems organic. Um, but uh, yeah, and so I feel bad that like we're, we're bashing Juno, but like what frustrates me is that all the elements are there. This is a great cast. Like oh, yeah. you've got future Oscar winners like J.K. Simmons and Allison Janney. You've mm-hmm. got Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner, who actually, who you know, she was in Alias, and then it was actually her performance in this that made people realize, oh, there's a actually there's a lot going on to her as an actress. I'm not a fan of Jennifer Garner. I have to say, I don't know why. She's not. That's the thing. She's not a, a, an amazing actress, but she is able to uh, suggest like uh, a, a layer of of hurt and aloneness in this, mm-hmm. uh, that really made me feel for her character. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Michael Sarah is Michael Sarah, but he's delightful. Mm-hmm. And l- let me suggest this, that along with Royal, T- with, uh, Wes Anderson, I do think there are a lot of certainly TV shows, but also movies that were trying to be arrested development. Yeah, and I, I think that. Th- this has some of that as well, mm-hmm. uh, at least from a tonal standpoint. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's frustrating that all of these elements are here. And if Diablo Cody had just shown restraint from a dialogue standpoint, this could be a really great movie because it's just about, it's just about this high school girl who gets pregnant and is trying to figure out what to do about that. Fairly kind of a small story, but the people she encounters along the way, whether it be people that she already knows, uh, who now see her in a different light or people that she has gotten to know because of this, uh, teaches her a lot about life at this point. And it's, it's a really effective film structurally and emotionally, but it feels, it feels like people are speaking another language to me. And so I can't really let myself go. 
it is constantly taking me out of its own reality. Mm. Um, but uh, I did not. So the other possibility for the companion film was Ghost World. But uh, I'm saving that for whenever we talk about Lady Bird, um, <laughs> which I mean, it doesn't seem like eighth grade and Lady Bird could be watched on the same day. And it just feels like you're watching the character a little bit later on in their life. I know. I, I had that thought and I was like, you can't really do a companion film that came out the previous year right. at the end of the previous year. It right. hasn't even been like eight months yet. Yeah. Maybe barely. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt similar to that, but by going younger, I think that's really interesting because I do think that, uh, audiences and maybe Hollywood itself just kind of feels like, okay, high school is when it all happens. Either, either that or young kids, like middle school itself is largely, neglected in film. I think because people don't know how to write those characters and they're just like, Oh, I'd rather stay away from that. I, I, I hated it. And they're all kind of terrible and honestly getting actors that are in sure. that look believably in that age group and sure. can act is not easy. Yeah. And I mean, it speaks to the fact that all of the younger actors in this are people I've not seen before. They've done other things, but they're not big time actors and I'm not blaming them. No. It's just that I don't think there's much call for actors this age. Yeah. Uh, you know, as they get older, I'm sure they'll get a lot more work, yeah. uh, because there's, you know, there's no shortage of high school movies, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, but there are elements of Juno that I, that I appreciate just on their, like on principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there's one uh, exchange that I like quite a bit from Juno, um, where she's talking with her boyfriend, uh, played by Michael Sarah. She says, "You're like the coolest person I've ever met. I've ever met, and you don't even have to try, you know." And then he says, "I try really hard, actually." <laughs> it's like that's a really nice exchange. And hey, yeah. look, nothing weird about that. It's just a it's just a back and forth. Yeah. Um, also, I'm picturing Michael Sarah. Oh, no question. That, and that's if ever a line was written <laughs> yeah. for someone um but it definitely does speak to something that we saw that we see in eighth grade which is these characters are constantly talking about cool and wanting to seem cool yeah and and of course it's that old idea that the more you want to seem cool the less cool you're going to be um but this moment where somebody can look at someone else and say, Oh wow. It's like, you're not even trying. And the person says, I am trying as hard as I can to be this thing. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, so I liked that because a, it suggests that, you know, if you're going to compare yourself to people, just be aware that they might, that their struggles might be invisible to you, maybe probably by design, but that doesn't mean they're not struggling. Um, uh, and then, uh, I do love JK Simmons in Juno. I think he does a great job with it. You wouldn't think oh, that yeah. a guy as gruff as that would be able to sell that type of dialogue, but he does. Um, him and Alice and Janney. I keep yeah. forgetting that. They're like, those are the two parents. And it's like, but she came, but she did a, like, she did Sorkin. So like she could oh, yeah. sell this. But, oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm he, saying both of them are like. They play tough characters. Yes, very much so. Like when you uh, think of, because yeah, they both went on to win Oscars. And if you think of the movies, they won the characters they won Oscars for. Yeah. You know, it's very different than this. (laughs) I think they're both these kind of like steely eyed, like murders just below the surface kind of thing. Yeah. There's a reason J.K. Simmons uh, got famous in Oz playing a white supremacist murderer. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but there's a moment when, um, as Juno's father, uh, J.K. Simmons, 
I'm going to have to censor this a bit. He says, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is find someone who loves you for exactly what you are. Good mood, bad mood, ugly, pretty, handsome, what have you. The right person is still going to think the sun shines out of your, I'll say, but, uh, that's the kind of person that's worth sticking with. And it's this idea of like unconditional love. But as you were talking about, and this might be a little cynical on my part, as you know, neither of us, you and I both have a tendency to not think very highly of people. Um, and I, I genuinely am not sure if unconditional love is something that is possible between people, yeah. even a parent for a child, like, but what if that child kills the other parent, you know, kills the person you love? Like, are you still going to love your child as unconditionally as you can? I mean, you know, I guess the movie, there's something about the, uh, sorry, we need to talk about Kevin, uh, is kind of about that. But, uh, so, and that's probably cynical on my part. There are probably some people who say, no, no, there are like the, the, the parent child relationship, it's unconditional. It's like, uh, and maybe it is for a lot of people, but I, not for everyone. Yeah. I feel like if there is a, if there is a type of relationship that inherently creates unconditional love, then that's true for everybody in that relationship. Right. And that's certainly not the case that everyone yeah. in that relationship has that. So yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. And even in, you know, because people are not perfect, even in situations where it might from the outside look as good as it's going to, there, yeah. there are still flaws in that. There might be parents who, even though their, their children have, rejected them and like don't ever call or whatever mm -hmm. like even if they still love that person that love may not be perfect because yeah. it's been polluted by whatever years of hurt or things like that so it, um to the to the degree that we look for unconditional love in other humans we will always be in some way disappointed yeah. And then of course, anybody who says like, well, the, what about the prodigal son in the Bible? It's like, yeah, that's a parable about God, <laughs> like, you know, which is, which is where we're headed by the way. Um, and so I did want to talk about, and that's the thing is, you know, when dealing with, with people that love you tremendously, y you are going to go through phases where you are not as easily loved as you might have been. And then, or as you might, as you might be in the future. So there's a, uh, a quote here from Tim Keller, who uh, he came here, uh, he came to Los Angeles a few years ago and preached a sermon and you and my wife and me and your wife, that sounds like we went with each other's <laughs> wives, uh, but we and a bunch of other people went to it and he said this and I was looking to see if, if this was in a sermon somewhere and sure enough, I found it, which mm -hmm. I liked, which uh, Tim Keller says, when you're... When you were 10 years old, you can remember that your eight-year-old self was totally stupid. When you're 15 years old, you think about your 10-year-old self and the things you wrote and believed and go, ugh. When you're 20 years old, you think your 15-year-old self was a jerk. And when you're 30 years old, you really think your 20-year-old self was a jerk. And guess what? You're a jerk now. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it because he's just called a just an entire sanctuary full of people jerks. <laughs> but, but his point is well taken, which is that like, it's always easy to look back on yourself and say, Oh boy, he didn't know what he was talking about. Surely I know what I'm talking about now. Yeah. Eh, I don't know if five years from now, Tyler would agree. Yeah. Um, and so it means that at any given point you are probably improving, but also in a tremendous state of error. And so 
who's to say that like at this particular moment, like someone is someone that cares very much about you is struggling to care about you. Um, you know, I think I've, I've said that uh, the last several months, uh, have been difficult for me and Jen. Our marriage has been a bit strained and thankfully we're coming out of it and things are, are a lot stronger than they were, which is great. But yeah, for several months, it was difficult for us to love each other the way we thought we were always going to. Um, and so thankfully we're past it, but that doesn't mean that we are not both jerks right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so I wanted to, let's see here. Okay. So yeah, I wanted to say this verse from Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the darkness. Uh, and then Ephesians four verses. I want to make sure I've got this right. Hang on. I wrote out a very long verse. Uh, I just don't want to read this too quickly. Yeah. Okay. So this is very much about like the new versus the old. So Ephesians four verses 17 through 24. Uh, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, of course, uh, this is a kind of a tall order in, in a lot of ways, you know, we are still able to deceive ourselves and deceive other people. We're still greedy and that sort of thing. But the idea is to be always putting on the new self and, uh, trying to move past the old self, which again might seem difficult, but thankfully to go back to, uh, to, uh, eighth grade and what her father tells her, it's that he, it's not merely that he loves her. It's that he seems to really delight in her. And that's something that in my own life I've struggled with is the idea that God delights in me. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, do you listen to me? I'm not that delightful of a person, especially if you see me all the time. Um, like I have incredibly dark thoughts, incredibly, uh, angry thoughts, um, that people don't see cause I keep them inside. But of course God, if God looks at the heart, he sees that mine is, uh, quite frustrating. Um, but the, but the Bible over and over says that God delights in us. And so Zephaniah three, uh, 16 and 17, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God is with you. The mighty warrior who, who saves, he will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. All right. He will take great delight in you. Uh, Josh, I'll throw you Psalms. All right. Um, the first one is Psalm 18, 16 through 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. 
And then we've got Psalm 147, 10 and 11. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, once again, this is, I don't think this is the thing that I necessarily have to say, but I'll say it anyway. When people talk about like those who fear God, uh, it's not necessarily the type, the, the definition of fear that people usually use, which is just like, just terrified of God, like always like looking over, right. Uh, always looking over their shoulder, especially like if you look in the next, it says, you know, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You know, you don't describe uh, the clown from it uh, as having unfailing love. Like Hopefully. this type of fear is, has more to do with acknowledgement of his authority and his greatness and just the natural, the natural way of things when you acknowledge that, that uh, there will be a, certainly a, a sense of respect. Yeah. Um, it connects very much to the way that you hear people and uh, people in the Bible responding to God appearing them or angels appearing to them or stuff like that. They right. fall down and it says they were afraid, but not in the, you know, are you going to kill me sort of way, yeah. just a, in a recognition and awe yeah. of, of, I guess, true power and goodness. Yeah. Like you are seeing this thing that is so much bigger than you in every sense of the word. Yeah. And so, yes, you will have a reaction to it, uh, that, uh, you would not have to most other things. And so, you know, over and over again here, it says that, uh, that he delights in us. He saves us because he delights in us. Um, and so I was going to throw it to you and ask in your opinion, what does it mean to delight in something or someone? Mm. It's a big question. Yeah. Um, in the sense that God delights in us. Yeah. I mean, the, the simple, easy answer is to find delight and right. to be delighted. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I think, if, you know, I think the what we can see in the Bible's the Bible is that in many ways God does find joy in just in, in our mere existence mm -hmm. and in what we do, and especially when we uh, do things that glorify Him or right. or connect us to Him. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of goes back to even the uh the reason that we're created in the first place we're created to bring delight to god mm -hmm. and sometimes uh, stepping out to that wider context can make that seem more uh real and believable because when we're trying to just think about like well am i delightful in comparison to uh, you know, this guy over here who's yeah. super nice to everybody all the time and has a bunch of money and gives it to charity and, you know, uh, all the right the things that we as people among people value. But seeing it, when we step kind of out and see that God sees us as a, a beautiful creation that brings glory to him, no matter how flawed we are at the moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like that helps that to make more sense. Yeah. I do think that it's a, uh, there, there is, I think when we stop, when we stop thinking of ourselves as delightful to God, I feel like for me, it's almost always in regards to yes, but look at what this other person is doing. Mm -hmm. 
compared to them, how could I possibly be delightful? And I genuinely feel like, you know, when people, this is something that I've been thinking more about lately. When people talk about like a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with God, and it's like, I don't know what that means. And it's like, well, I think I've started to understand that it means that like, it's, it's you and him. It's not, now obviously it's you and him and everybody else. And he's not saying, you know, go and be a monk living by yourself in the mountains. You still need to interact with other people. But he's ultimately saying like, I love them the way I love them. I love you the way I love you. And those two have nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. except my choice to love both of you. Right. And so don't you worry about them. You only worry about me. Like over and over again, it in the Bible, it talks about, you know, don't look to the side, look straight at me. Because like, if you're, I, I, you know, you're walking on water, as long as you stay focused on me, when you start looking around, that's when you start to sink. Yeah. And then like, when you start to worry about what other pe- about other people doing better than you, that's when you start, that's when you bury your talents and you mm-hmm. say, oh, no, I was scared. I was going to lose it as opposed to these other guys. Like, no, no, I gave you what was possible for you and don't worry about other people. Mm-hmm. Just worry about me. And you know, that is something that, that I have been trying to work on because as you know, like comparison is a big issue for me. Um, and the idea that, that God delights in me for the things that are uniquely me, uh, maybe even the flaws, not that he necessarily, uh, approves of them, of course, but that these are all the things that make me, me. And he delights in you for all the things that you are. And so, uh, so the peace that that can hopefully that that can provide if we let it, which I so seldom do, um, is something that again, to go back to eighth grade, it's this idea that we're always going to be moving forward. We always have to try and put on the new self, but we are going to make mistakes. And there are times when we're going to feel like we're way off course. Uh, but thankfully, even in the midst of, of let's even say a very, real failure in life, even in the midst of that, like God delights in us and, and you know, what is it? Uh, he rescued me because he delighted in me, you know, um, that's something that hopefully can provide some comfort. And I would recommend that everybody watch eighth grade because a, we've all been there uh, we might've had different experiences, but my guess is that underneath the experiences were pretty, pretty close. Um, but also another element of the Bible is saying that like, we have to have a faith like a child's. And so looking at this film and, and the way this child is approaching life, but the way she approaches her father and the way her father approaches her is something that I think many of us can relate to. Uh, even if we're, into our fifties and sixties, or if we are 36 or 35, Josh, All right. um, good. I was worried. So, um, so yeah, uh, hopefully that that, hopefully that provides some level of comfort. And once again, I cannot, I cannot recommend eighth grade highly enough. I don't necessarily recommend Juno, uh, <laughs> which is, which is so frustrating because there are so many recommendable things about Juno. Mm-hmm. I like Jay. I like Jason Reitman. Like he made, but right before this, he made, th- he made Thank You for Smoking. Yeah. Right after, he made Up in the Air. I love both of those films. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's made other films since then. He's kind of taken risks, like as in genres, and they haven't always yeah. paid off, but they're interesting. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there are a few of his films I've seen that I was just 
hated. And it sounds as though Diablo Cody has really calmed down as a screenwriter since then. She made a film called Young Adult that apparently is really good. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I think it's in my... She wrote Hulu. Tully that came out this this or last year, again with Charlize Theron and directed by Jason Reitman. And from what I've heard, yeah, it doesn't have any of the little flourishes that this script does. And it's more just about, uh, you know, a, an adult woman trying to figure out how to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And so I just wonder if Diablo Cody, as she has matured as a person and as a screenwriter, just realized like, okay, I, I'm not interested in this affected stuff anymore. Yeah. But anyway, so once again, check out eighth grade. It's a really marvelous film. Uh, it's not everywhere. It's a smaller film. So it's being released, you know, a little bit at a time, but if you live in Los Angeles, my guess it's also playing in New York and Chicago and that sort of thing. So it's check playing, it out. It's playing at the, uh, the landmark right now. I went, mm -hmm. that's where I saw it. And, uh, we were going to go to a two o'clock screening and it was packed on a Sunday afternoon. And we were like, really? that's, that's weird. There were no two seats together and we were an hour early. And I was like, what's going on? And they were like, Oh, uh, the director and Elsie Fisher are going to oh, be here. To yeah. There you go. I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. Fair so enough. we didn't go to that one. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I don't think I would have wanted to go to that one. I feel like I'd be very interested in what Elsie Fisher would have to say more so than Bo Burnham. I like the idea that the movie speaks for itself, but I'm interested to hear what an actor like of that age would yeah. say when approaching that character. Yeah. But anyway, so, all right, uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Once again, uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com and check out all sorts of things, uh, including a recent uh, review of Skyscraper and The Fear of God talking about Predator and Two Geeks Soup talking about ha uh, The Handmaid's Tale. So uh, if you have any questions, you can always email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at More Lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. And then you can always like us on Facebook. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.